this week on the Bishop Jack Vaughn Audio Channel. Someone put it this way, the passions are the same, but the availability and intensity of the temptations have greatly increased. For all the adults here this morning, I want to say to you, never underestimate your potential to influence a teenager's life. James chapter 1, verse 14, verse 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. I'll read that twice, once from the King James and then again from the message translation. The King James reads... Verse 12, chapter 4, 1 Timothy. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. The message translation reads, get the word out. Everybody say, get the word out. Teach all these things and don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life, by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. Stay at your post reading scripture, giving counsel, teaching, and that special gift of ministry you were giving when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed. Keep that dusted off and in use. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. I want to deal with a word today that seems to be simple but yet so powerful, uh, can be very destructive and can be very helpful in you pursuing a life of purpose and life of destiny. And that word is temptations. Everybody say temptations. I want to talk mainly uh, to the youth that are present this morning in this service. We'll talk again at 11 o'clock. Many of them will be participating in the worship service at 11 o'clock, but I Look over the audience, and we have quite a few here this morning. I want to talk to both youth and adults today about the temptations that teens face. Tell your neighbor, temptations that teens face. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I know that we are now about two weeks into our crusade month, and this month with dress down month, casual Sunday. Aren't you appreciating that? Amen. And we have set as a goal for this month, a soul is the goal. A soul is the goal. That's our theme for the month. And it is my prayer that heaven can record for each of you for this month of March for bringing at least one soul to Christ. Amen. Will you make that your goal? Amen. This month, that each one of you will bring at least one soul to Christ and to the kingdom of God. When we speak of crusade, you might ask, what is a crusade? Bishop, and I've given you a definition on last Sunday. I'll refresh your memory again and introduce it to those that may not be aware of that word crusade. 
Uh, it's an organized campaign concerning a political, social, or religious issue. Right now, our focus is spiritual. It is religious. It is the souls of mankind, typically motivated by a fervent desire for change. I'm concerned about humanity. I'm concerned about what I see in our communities and, and in our society and in our culture and various cultures, not just the African-American culture. A crusade against the enemy still in the souls of mankind. All souls belong to the Lord. James chapter 5 verse 20 says, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death. There's not one person in here that knows somebody that you would like to see their soul saved from death. The death of hell, the death of damnation, the death of an eternal loss, and shall hide a multitude of sin. I like the message translation because it's a conversation translation. It breaks it down so that those that may not can understand sometimes that King James comprehended. It breaks it down in a common language so that you can understand it. Uh, verse 19 through 20 says, my dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth. How many of y'all know people? I know people. Don't write them off. Don't write them off. Some of you wonder too. I know you're sitting up here looking really spiritual like you've been running for Jesus a long time and haven't got tired yet, but you took some detours, baby. Ah, you took some detours. You spent the night in some places. Come on, I'm going to leave that one alone. Yeah, I know it was a long, long journey, but you pulled off on the side of the road. You camped out. It says, don't write them out. Off, go after them. Any time you see the mission of the church, it is action. Uh, we were talking the other night uh, around the table. Uh, where was I at? Amen. I was out of town, around the table, and we were talking. Uh, in Wichita, Kansas, it was. And um, we were talking about the mission of the church and, and the Great Commission. And someone mentioned the preaching of the gospel. And I said, spell gospel. I said, what are the first two letters in gospel? Go. When you talk about the Great Commission to the church, it tells the church to go. Go after them. Not wait for them to come to you, but you go after them. Get them back. And can I break it down to you? Let me talk to the men uh, in, in the house. That, that uh, a character, that attribute that men have, when you see something that you want, women too, and you go after it. If a man in his younger years is pursuing a woman, amen, or a little girl or a teenage girl, he says, you know what, that's the one I want. And I'm speaking in a, a moral sense, okay? I'm not speaking immoral or, or sexual immorality, but I'm saying that's the one I want for my... I don't care how she turned her nose up at him. I don't care how she said, I don't want to be bothered with him. He's not my type. He's not my... He was determined he was going to win her. Even if she said, I don't want to be bothered with you, she'd tell her friends, tell him, don't come after me. Amen. I don't want to talk to him. He was determined to go after her. And that's why some of y'all are married today, because he came after you. Come on. 
You got to have that same fervency of a soul. I don't care if they cuss you out. I don't care if they act like they didn't want to be bothered with you. I don't care if they said, I don't want to hear nothing about the Bible, nothing about the church. Amen. But you are determined that that soul is one that you're not going to see lost. And you're going to go after that soul, whatever the cost is. And that's why some of you all are saved today because somebody came after you. They came after you. And that's what he says to you. Go get them. Go get them back and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. My deep sincere prayer is that this house can turn many of our youth, many of our teens from the epidemic of wandering away from God. I'm concerned. Can I talk to you? about children that are raised in the church and as soon as they become of age, we say 18, they can make their own decisions and many times they make a decision to leave the church, Uh, they make a decision to get away from their parents, uh, to get away from their covering. I'm concerned about that epidemic that when our children go off to school and, and get away from home, they act like they forget everything they were ever taught Act like they've never been to Sunday school, never been to Bible study. And parents will begin to say, where did I go wrong at? I'm concerned about this epidemic of uh, being introduced to philosophies and being introduced to new age philosophy and how the world thinks and to present, amen, this gospel of Christ and the plan of salvation to those who have never accepted it. That's my sincere desire is that we turn a generation around from wandering away from God. That's your children and grandchildren and children to come because there is a temptation And the enemy is intensifying his forces to defeat the church of God and the family institution. But I am determined as long as there's breath in my body and there are people that will pray with me and walk with me and journey with me that we can turn this thing around. Clap your hands if you believe that. I refuse to write any any young person off, any youth off, any human being for that matter. But today our emphasis is on you. I don't care what you've done. I want to say so to the young people today and, and, and who you did it with. I don't care where you've been and who you went with going there. You've been designed by God. You've been designed by God for God's purpose. And God will go to any extreme because he loves you just like that to make sure that happens for you. To make sure you fulfill your purpose. You see in this room Uh, adults of different ages, adults of different backgrounds, and if you would sit down and talk to some of them and hear their story, you might be surprised some of the things that they've been through. But they will testify and tell you today that God loved them enough and had designed them for his glory and for his purpose that he went to the extreme to bring them back to him. God will go through any extreme to Again, because he loves you to make sure his plan happens for you. Also, Satan will go to any extreme because he hates you like that. God loves you like that. Satan hates you like that to make sure you don't do anything to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. So you today, my brothers and sisters, there are two forces that are working here. You have a God force working and you have that God force is working for your good. It's working for your well-being, and you have an evil, wicked, demonic force working 
for your ultimate demise. And that's not just for young people. That's for everyone in here today. You've got a demonic, wicked, evil spirit that's working for your demise. Many teens in the world, and particularly you that are being raised in the church by Christian parents and believing parents and spirit-filled parents, they face temptation every day. I know not everyone is prepared to overcome those temptations. And at some point, um, most people are faced with a desire to submit to sin. And I know you might be thinking, the young people today now, what do you know, Bishop? What do adults know today about what temptations that youth face? Just hang on for a minute. I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you are forced with that desire to submit to sin, Uh, whether it be sex, whether it be Gossip, you'd be surprised how many teen fights start just by gossip. Uh, 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 Just by cheating, cheating on a test, cheating with your homework, having somebody else do it and turning it in like it's yours. Um, The list can go on and on. Uh, Sometimes those temptations are minor compared to others so that they're pretty easy, some to overcome than others, but other times there are certain temptations and the desire to give in to them that seem so great. Remember, though the temptation is not the sin, even Jesus was tempted. And there's not one person under the sound of my voice or listening to me via live stream that has not been tempted in some form or another. We only sin when we give in to the temptation. Because they're going to come. I don't care if you're 90 years old. Temptations are going to come in some form. Here are some things that you can do to help you avoid and overcome some temptations. I've come today to uh, give you some instructions uh, 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 and and just to say to you that God is for you, that he has designed you for victory. In James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, each one is tempted and by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Dragged away. That's why if the enemy gets a hand on you and gets a hold on you, He'll keep pulling until he drags you away and entice. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We have said at times that different people have different temptations, that we're not all tempted by the same things, but we're all tempted. Mm -hmm. I want you to get that. Not everybody's tempted by the same things, but we're all tempted. Uh, Today's message is temptations that teens face. Our teenagers are probably saying again, right about now, thinking, what could you grown folks tell us about what we're dealing with today? Y'all aren't in school with us today. You don't know what we have to encounter. You're at work. You're someplace else. You aren't in my peer circle with my friends. Well, the answer for you today, you probably don't realize that we know more than what you think we know. By the way, teens, if you go to the Bible... That's the holy book, and I know now they say Facebook is for older people, that now the teenagers have all type of applications on their phone and all type of uh, social media that they can communicate with that parents aren't aware of. They can put it on there, erase it, just like that after it is seen and viewed. But the Bible speaks about that when you want to say that we know nothing about what you're dealing with. And it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, Every adult, every parent, grandmother, grandfather needs to know that verse. So when uh, your children coming along and children's children tell you, you don't understand. Tell them what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. 
There is nothing new. Somebody talk to me. Under the sun. Can I say it again? What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new. Help me say there's nothing new. Under the sun. Many times in talking with parents and when I'm talking with even grandparents or teenagers, you're asked to pray for my teenagers, pray for my children. And I may say, uh, any particular thing you want me to pray for? And they'll say that their eyesight is going bad. And I'm thinking, oh, that's so terrible for teenagers to be having eyesight problems. And I say, can you elaborate a little bit? And my response is, oh, no, have they gone to the doctor? They say, no, they can't see that their room needs to be clean. Okay, okay, I understand that. Or they can't see that there's food in the refrigerator that needs to be cooked. And they say, we don't have nothing to eat around here. I'm not here to blast the youth today uh, by all things that you're doing or, or not doing. But today I'll offer some challenges. Can I do that? We just smile Let me say, do that, Bishop, do that. I want to offer some challenges to you, some instructions from the Word of God. And please understand that teenagers have faced the same basic temptations for decades. But I also want to let you know that there are some things that are a bit different now than they were when even I was a teen and many adults were teenagers. Someone put it this way, the passions are the same, but the availability and intensity of the temptations have greatly increased. For all the adults here this morning, I want to say to you, never underestimate your potential to influence a teenager's life. Never underestimate your potential to influence a teenager's life. Sometimes they're looking at you and you don't know they're looking at you. As I travel across the country, I've had teenagers say to me and even here in the area that, you know, we looked at you as we were growing up as kids and they watch what you wear and watch how you walk and, and they listen to how you talk and children try to imitate Trust me, there is probably not one adult in this ministry that a child has not picked you out and you don't know they pick you out. And they're going home trying to walk like you, trying to flip their hair like you, trying to talk like you. Amen. Because children will imitate what they see and what they like. If you're here and, and, and you are hearing me as an adult, remember your teenage years? Or you don't have any teenagers in your family? I want you to listen anyway. In the 21st century, we need not shake our heads in disgust and disappointment with our youth because we feel they have shamed us, they have embarrassed us, or they have ignored us. And sometimes I see adults say, oh, these kids, do they? Oh, I'm so glad I'm not a teenager. Oh, they just got the uh attitude and the uh spirit. But I'm saying to you that don't get the uh spirit and the uh attitude about teenagers. Oh, they just get on my nerve. You need to be prepared in how to pray for them. You need to be prepared as an adult how to encourage them on their journey of purpose and destiny because and such were some of you at one time and point in your life. Oh, and some adult probably looked at you and went, oh, oh. And considering the key areas of teenagers' temptations, I want you to look at what Paul said in Timothy uh, as he spoke to his spiritual son in the faith. Paul said, 1 Timothy 4 and 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, 
in life, in love, in faith, and purity. My first point is reminder to adults. Am I doing all right this morning? Two important truths are chosen in our theme verse this morning uh, that I don't want you adults to miss, and they should not be missed. We're not to look down on teenagers simply because they're young. I read something this week, and I was really amazed that it was recorded in history when it was recorded, and you might be amazed too when I tell you when it was recorded, but let me read it to you. Said one famous person said, youth today love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents, talk too much in company, guzzle their food, lay their, le- lay their legs on the table, and tyrannize their elders. This was written by Socrates in the 5th century. In the 5th century. Was anybody here then during the 5th century? Did I not just tell you there is nothing new under the sun? There is a tendency to think that, that youth or kids aren't as mature or as responsible and disciplined as we think they were at our age or at their age. It is true that some young people today behave horribly, uh, just as some adults do. Someone told me a very horrible story the other day. It might have been yesterday. Uh, they were in a setting, and um, there was an older person there that maybe needed a seat or was standing in line, and someone was saying, let the older person come to the front of the line. And a young person said, I don't care nothing about them being old. Let them stand up just like I'm standing up. I got here first. They can wait their turn. I thought about how horrible that was for someone to say that. But you know what I said to myself? That didn't just start yesterday. That bitterness came from their childhood many, many years ago of something that has happened in their life that has caused them to disrespect older people. It may be tempting to get frustrated with the youth today, with teens today, some people call them with kids today, who are out of control. But I'm telling you this in defense of many of the great and awesome young people that I know, that many of them are in this ministry. I've met them across the country, that it's unfair to lump all of them together. Can I say that again? You need to say it with me. It's unfair to lump all teenagers together. All right, make that point and make a note of that. Do you know the pressures that as I talk to these teenagers that they're facing in this day and age, are you ready to jump down their throats when you are see behavior that you think is intolerable? Talking to adults. When you tell them to act their age, do you not understand that they're probably acting their age? Sometimes when we say act your age, we're simply trying to say act like me. And they've got years to go before they act like you. They're not adults. They're teenagers. Do you confuse their individuality with immorality? Do you find yourself judging teenagers by the passing fads of clothing styles? And I'm going to tell you something. If you look back in time and you look at some of the things we used to wear, I can remember bell-bottom pants with platform shoes. 
And some of you are looking at me like you have no clue. Yes, you do. You know just what I'm talking about. I can remember the big hoops and the, yeah, uh-huh. And, and ladies, you know exactly where I'm going with that. I can remember when, when wigs, everybody had a wig. Everybody had an afro. Uh, now everybody, yeah, never mind. But anyway, don't look down on teenagers because they're acting like teenagers. We can't, we can, let me say this, set standards for them and we can challenge them without being negative. When I talk to teenagers, one of their most complaints about adults, parents and grandparents is, I understand what they're saying, but they're just negative in their approach. Can I talk to adults? And let me talk in the defense of the adults for that matter, since I am an adult and I've, uh, my wife and I have uh, raised three sons, is that sometimes the reason we come across as being negative is because we really want you to get it. Do I have any man or y'all leaving me out there in deep water by myself? We want you to get it and we don't want you to make the same mistakes that we've made or we've seen others made. So therefore we come across sometimes as if we're jumping on you or we're being negative. Chalk it up to our head and not to our heart. Because we really do love you and we really do care about you. Sometimes we come across as being critical. It's like, man. Do you have to look like this is what young people say about adults? Be critical of everything I'm doing? That's because we just want you to get it. Want you to get it and we want you to get it right, the right way. Sometimes we come across as being unrealistic in our expectations. We also need to watch, this is to adults, the example that we set for them. Paul points out clearly and explicitly in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that our example is very powerful, very powerful. As an adult, you're very powerful because kids are watching. If we're not consistent with our words and we don't practice what we preach, uh, they'll seldom follow our directions and question many times within themselves our witness and our testimony. In other words, we can't say, do as I say, but don't do as I do. Because they will imitate what they see. It's critical that we as adults set an example. Everybody say set an example. For the younger generation in speech. The way we talk. In our life. In love. The way we live our faith. In purity. If we want them to do the same. I was blessed not only to have parents. Who made sure that they took us to church live godly lives in front of us, and some of you were blessed like that also. Uh, my dad, many of those uh, of his peer group in ministry, Dad Johnson, our, our bishop, Dad Cofield, Elder Henry, and many of their spouses uh, took an interest in young people. Back then, uh, everybody's children was everybody's children. And many of them had large families. Uh, a large family now is probably considered two. How many? Two family. Back then, uh, compared to now, we had tribes. <laughs> Told you within a two or three block radius of our neighborhood was probably a good 250 kids. Uh, eight in one house, 10 in another one. A block down the street, 18 in one house. The house next to that one had 15 kids. Looked like block party all the time. 
except on Wednesdays. Wednesdays was prayer meeting night for most churches. AMEs, the Baptist, Church of God in Christ, Apostolics, amen. I think the only ones that didn't have Bible study was Catholics, but they had mass, amen. And you couldn't hardly find a child on the street when we were supposed to be at church on the week. Sundays was the same way, pretty much. If they didn't have a church home, somebody in the community took them to their church. That's the kind of community we had when everybody's children was everybody's children. So many of them are in their graves today, but they're gone on to be in that great cloud of witnesses. But I tell you, every day I thank God for those who left a legacy, those who were examples for us, amen, for us to follow. And today we are what we are because of them. They may not have been perfect. But they did the best they could with what they had. They encouraged us and they helped guide our faith. Far too many young people lack those kind of role models today. There's not a lot of role models, people. That's why we as adults need to be very cautious to set an example in both our actions and our attitudes. Everybody say our actions and our attitudes. There was an article in the USA Weekend by Tim Wendell. And they talked about the teenage brain. Um, that article ran the month of May 16th through the 18th in 2003. Just let me kind of share a little bit of that with you. It says, until just a few years ago, scientists thought that because the size of a teenager's brain doesn't change much after childhood, it stood to reason that the brain was finished developing by the teen years as well. However, new technology has revealed that the brain goes through tremendous upheaval and dramatic change during adolescence. What is adolescence? It's the time preceding adulthood, the intermediate stage of development. And the old folk may not have been scientists, or they may not have understood technology, but, but they would tell you that that, that, that child is changing from that adolescent stage into the adulthood. And they had a language for that. I won't go into that language, but it's nice to know that scientists have finally figured out what parents of teenagers have known all along. A teenager's mind is a work in progress. Can I say that again? It's a work in progress. And yet, that's also why we as adults should do all that we can to help our teens grow to be healthy grow to be productive, and grow to be godly. And that's more likely to happen when teens have solid role models. Now let me give the challenge to the teens today. Paul gives us five key areas in which the younger generation should set a proper example and also avoid the corresponding temptations I'm getting ready to give you. Set an example, first of all, Paul said in your speech. Are you with me? Are you with me? This instruction suggests, among other things, that you avoid young people the temptations of profanity. We got a lot of amens on that one, don't we? But there are numerous other ways we sin with our speech. Hateful words. Sarcasm. Gossip. Even our tone of voice can be harmful. I've heard many say that profanity was a great temptation for them growing up. And it can be easier today than it was way back then. Typically, as you move from the teen years to adulthood, 
it becomes more difficult to keep your speech pure if you don't have Christ in your life. He is the only one and the Holy Spirit is the only one that can take from your mouth and your spirit that profane tongue and give you a godly character and a godly nature. Young people are bombarded by profanity on the bus. They are bombarded by profanity in the locker room, at the movie theater. It may be in the music that's around them or mm, some of the music they might even be listening to. And sometimes it may be used regularly in their home. So I find out folk can be one way at church. Oh, but when they get home, it can be something totally different. I was at the car wash yesterday, pulled in, vacuumed my car. There was a young kid next to me vacuuming his, and the music was just blazing, but it was full of profanity. And you know, it's something about your ears, they're like a recorder. When I pulled away, I could still hear the poop, 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 poo, and hear them words. I said, oh God, I cast that out of my mind. It's like that was still in my mind. I understand how that spirit will transfer. Amen. It's all around you. It's infectious. It gets on you. So I can only imagine, amen, children now use profanity. Daycare centers have to say, we don't use that kind of language here. Because of what they hear at home. They use it in school because of what they are exposed to. And if you hear it over and over, it becomes sometimes more difficult to avoid it. I remember my nephew was about three or four years old, and he was over my sister's house this many years ago. And um, he went across the street to the playground with the older boys, and he came back. And she was babysitting him for the evening. And she said, he just let loose. He was using some words. And she said, where you get those words from? He said, that's what they said over there. And she said, he just walked around. It sounded good to him because that's the fleshly nature. Uh-huh. I won't tell you who it was, but hey amen. It was the fleshly nature. Once you start, it just got to roll to it. You feel good. They grow up hearing it and they use it until it's ingrained in casual conversations. And for the most part, I've been in public places and adults use it like common speech. I want to challenge the young people today. Rise above the crowd. You're better than that. Rise above the crowd. Learn how to express yourself in a way that's respectful. Learn how to express yourself in a way that's godly, in a way that's decent, and in order. I want to say this, that if you can control your speech in front of your parents and respect them, you can control your speech in front of teachers and respect them. If you can do it here at church, you can control it with your friends too. I'm going to talk about some practical things in the next few minutes here. You can control it when you're texting. You can control it when you're Instagramming and those other things. I left my list of the new things that are out there. You be the one that sets the example in life and avoid the temptation of hypocrisy. Be the same person wherever you are. Don't claim to be a Christ follower on Sunday and then live like the world the rest of the week. 
Don't pretend to be moral and upright around adults and then blend in with the crowd when you think no one's watching. Uh, just this week, I, I read about a youth minister, and I want you to hear this. This is very important, uh, very important. I remember, uh, before I read this, uh, that when my sons were in school and high school, we just make visits up to the school. I just make visits unannounced. And uh, I remember one visit I made, and there was quite a few young people from the church that went to that high school. And uh, I stood outside as, as the boys were in there playing basketball in the gym. <laughs> oh, it was hilarious. <laughs> as I stood outside the door and looked in the window and some of the things I saw and heard, and you, you know how boys, you know how you're on that gym floor and you're playing the dozens, you know, telling what I'll do to you, you know, and you're not this and you're not that. And then when I recorded some of that mentally and played it back to some of the young folk at the church, they wonder, when did you see that? Oh, I was at school today. And then some of the other young people saw me and they reminded and said, oh, your pastor was up here, your daddy was up here, amen. Sometimes you'd be surprised what's done when you think no adults are around. Let, let me read this to you. I, I feel good today. What about you? Feel this anointing today? It says, just this week I read about a youth minister who rented an ape costume, ape, on Friday night and wore it to a high school football game. He got a lot of laughs because no one knew who he was. He sat in the student area in the stands. He saw leaders from his youth group drinking, using foul language. One girl from his group gave him an obscene gesture. That's a finger. He left the game really discouraged. That Sunday, he taught a lesson on hypocrisy. And when he took the costume out of the bag, in front of the class, the kids realized immediately that they had been busted. Some of them apologized and learned a valuable lesson. Others were angry, accusing him of being dishonest. But isn't it funny how we hate deception in others but tolerate it in ourselves? 